0: This is the last in our series <clears throat> on the subject of work. Uh, we began uh, the first of the year speaking about work in creation, then work in the fall, work in redemption, and today we're going to talk about work in its consummation. Uh, and to begin this morning, I'd like for you to turn with me to page 450 in the uh, Pew Bible, or if you have your own Bible, Psalm 8. Psalm 8. <clears throat> Just remind you, we read this uh, the first Sunday we met. This is the psalmist's meditation on Genesis 1 where we read that God made us in his image and told us that we were to fill the earth, subdue it, and rule it to his glory. And this is a celebration of that, a humble celebration of what God has made man to be. We won't read it, but there's a New Testament passage that we read in Hebrews 2 that also talks about how Jesus is the one who finally brings this to pass uh, in a perfect way. Because we, though we are rulers of the earth, we're uh, sinful and we end up dying and not ruling the earth uh, in in a fullest sense. But Jesus, in his resurrection and now his exaltation does rule the world. And we will join him in that rule when we are raised as well. <clears throat> but so this is um, a piece of really what the whole Bible is about, of, about our uh, call to reign in this earth and the restoration of that reign in salvation. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes, the still, the enemy, and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory glory. And honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It begins and ends with that phrase, how majestic. And there's the sense at the end, As he contemplates the fact that God made us to be rulers of this world, though we are so much lower than he is. How majestic is your name? How majestic that you would make us royalty and give us that wonderful privilege. So let us pray. Lord, bless us as we continue to look into this wonderful aspect of our being, of our image Uh, Our work itself, Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless us with an understanding that our work is part of our royalty. It's part of our kingship. It's one of the chief ways that we exhibit that we are made in the image of God. By the work that we do in the home or at school or in the workplace, wherever it is, Lord, we in some way are manifesting uh, the glory of God in our work. Uh, For you are the God who worked, and now you've called us to work as well. We praise you for this wonderful privilege that we will enjoy perfectly throughout all eternity. Bless us, Lord, to that end we pray. Amen. There's uh, an account of a recent, uh, several years back, uh, graduation exercise at a Christian theological uh, school, And it was a college, this theological college. And at that college, you could major in theology or ministry, but you could major in many other things. Right in front of everybody, the uh, man addressing that group of graduates said, don't ever leave the ministry to go into other kinds of less important work that will not count for eternity right in front of everybody who's doing all these different kinds of works. And one uh, young man came up to a professor and sarcastically said, well, that leaves me out. I'm second class Uh, because he was just going to go teach in a high school. See, So that wouldn't be uh, the real thing that counts for eternity. Uh, A a fellow named Craig was uh, talking about his civil engineering, and he realized that in his mentality, He didn't think his engineering had any value from the perspective of eternity. And he was frustrated because it really wasn't contributing to a spiritual matter. It was totally non-spiritual. It really wasn't something uh, that counts uh, for eternity at all. Except he could make enough money to give to the church and he could make a kind of living so that when he was off from work, he could do spiritual things. That's what we're not teaching, okay? <laughs> That's what we're not teaching. It is expressed in a hymn uh, that we're some of us are familiar with, having sung it many times. The things of earth will soon be passed. Only what's done for the Lord will last. And the mentality of that hymn is not your daily work, okay? The mentality of that hymn is, Only what's done for the Lord, that is a specific religious Christian thing. But just your work, nah, that's just neutral. That won't last. It doesn't count for anything. We think that is a pagan view of work. It is not a biblical view. It opposes the Bible and its good and rich view of the fact that we were made like God, who is presented to us in Genesis chapter 1 as one who works, and then he makes us in his image to work as well, both in this life and in the life to come. In paradise, there was work. In this life, there is work, though it's plagued by sin, as Brian taught a couple of weeks ago. And then there will be perfected work in the world to come, because that's who we are, made in the image of God to do glorious things. Uh, the interesting thing is we think of my, many people think of my work as the eternal things. I'm dealing in eternal things and you're doing uh, temporal things. Well, this is kind of weird, isn't it? I will be the one out of a job when we hit the new heavens and the new earth. There'll be nothing for me to do because we'll all know the Lord. We'll be intimately associated with the Lord. I'll be playing catch up, you know. (laughs) I better find something to do. I can't be a pastor anymore. Um, And there may be a few other things that are like that. Or if In medicine, you'll be now exploring biology in a more, uh, you know, uh, positive way, for instance, whatever. But um, certainly, you can't think that uh, my job is the eternal job. It's emphatically not the eternal job. So we all, though, we would say deal with things that have to do with eternity. And that seems to be a dividing line for a lot of people. They may say, well, I find some significance in my work. I I fellowship with God in my work and all this. But it's really not going to count for anything that lasts. And we want to attack that idea uh, in every way we can this morning and say your work has the dignity of God. um, And it's that to which you've been called to do not only now, but in the world to come. So I want to look at three things, uh, a little bit of a review with the word with with creation. Then I want to talk about calling and then consummation. So creation, calling, and consummation. Uh, just remember in creation that we continue basically where God left off. God was in the work in creating this world, developing this world, uh, organizing this world out of chaos, filling it, and enriching this world. And then he handed it over to man to complete the development of this world. So we are simply taking over where God purposely left off. Now it's to be the human development of the earth. It makes me kind of think about Jesus when they were concerned that he was leaving and he said, I'll send you a helper who will come and be with you, the Holy Spirit. And so I kind of imagine God having this conversation with creation, and creation saying, "Well, wait, you've been here. You're doing all these things. Where are you going?" He says, "I'll send you a helper, and he's going to be in my. He and she are going to be in my image, and they're going to carry out this work. They're going to complete it. You know, that's that's the continuity of our godlike royal work that must be afforded the dignity that God gives it because it's like God." To say that work doesn't have dignity is to say that God has no dignity. To say that you'd rather have a Greek God because in the golden age, the Greek gods and the human beings that lived in that age did no work. And after when things got bad, people had to work. Also, the Greeks idea that the common work was lowly and not to be regarded as worth anything. Only the work of the mind uh, had any value. And so this is so much unlike God, who was a craftsman, who built things and created things and then calls us to do the same thing. And you see this in how God names so many things in the first chapter. And then in the second chapter, instead of himself naming the animals, you know that he lets man name the animals. He's, he's doing the godlike thing. He's now organizing and systematizing uh, the animal world uh, after the image of God. And so, Tim Keller, in his excellent book, uh, Every Good Endeavor, which I, I hope every one of you will read, it's a wonderful book about this subject. Every Good Endeavor, Tim, uh, Tim Keller, he says this He invites us to continue his work of developing creation to develop all the capacities of human and physical nature to build a civilization that glorifies Him. Through our work, we bring order out of chaos, like God. We create new entities, in a way, like God. We uh, cultivate the patterns of creation. We interweave the human community. So whether splicing a gene or doing brain surgery or collecting the rubbish or painting a picture... Our work further develops, maintains, or repairs the fabric of the world. In this way, our work connects to God's work. And that's the way you're to see it every day. I'm imaging God in what I do this day. So when we bring order out of chaos and when we draw out the potential of creation, we, when we unfold this creation beyond where it was when we found it, we're following God's pattern, you see, of uh, cultural development. <clears throat> and so we, we are like gardeners, you know, cultivating this earth, bringing forth its treasures. Uh, and we're to be caretakers of the earth in, in the best sense of that word. <clears throat> uh, so uh, a statement one has said is that the splendor of God radiates through any task. I hope you won't forget that. The splendor of God radiates through every task. What a way to think of your work every day. In every single thing you do, in the home, in the school, in the workplace, God's glory is radiating through whatever I would do. Let me give you an example of how strongly God opposes a denial of his creation. Okay? Now, this is in a different area, but you get the edges of how God thinks about his creation. How he values his creation and how he despises any kind of philosophy that would attack or undermine his creation. This is in 1 Timothy 4, and it has to do with uh, philosophies and religions that would teach, that would forbid marriage and would, as he says there, Uh, require abstinence from foods. So you get the idea that it's a move away from the enjoyment of creation. You can't enjoy the pleasures and comforts of marriage uh, because there's a more spiritual thing to do and not be wrapped up in all that physicality of marriage, you see. Or there's a more spiritual thing to do so you can't enjoy all these foods. You have to Enjoy as little as you can so that you can break free of this creation and become more spiritual. You see, pulling away from creation in some way makes you more spiritual. So that's what he says uh, that he, he, he speaks against. And he talks about these things that God has created to be received with thanksgiving. These are wonderful gifts from God that we're to receive with thanksgiving. And you might say, God says, you know, that's not a good thing for people to say that. Well, that's not how he he calls against it. He says this, in later times, speaking of these very things, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. That's that's what Paul says when we give in to denying the goodness of creation, whether it's by saying forbidding marriage or abstaining from certain foods. That's not we're not talking about dieting here. OK, that's a religious thing. Um, abstaining from foods or that we begin to say my work is not holy and spiritual and good and doesn't have full dignity like the pastor's work does. Beware. That's the seeping in of the doctrines of demons, okay? Denying the goodness of creation, denying the goodness of your work. And we must resist that at all cost. So, creation calls us to delight and enjoy these things uh, under God. Then also, our Calling. Just a few words about this because we haven't really touched on this yet in terms of the actual word calling. It's interesting in 1 Corinthians 7 that Paul says in a couple of verses there that when you are called into the faith of Christ, you're not to abandon right off the bat the calling that you have in this world. He's talking about your calling and your particular work. Now, it would include your calling in full range of circumstances that you're in. But he's particularly dealing with that aspect of your calling. He says, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Because some Christians were thinking, hey, I'm super spiritual now. I don't need to just be bogged down in this work that I was doing, uh, especially if I'm a slave or something like that, which many were in that, in that context. I need to break free and just be a spiritual person. And he said, No. No, you're being brought into Christ means that you're to now manifest Christ in that calling. And he calls your job a calling, okay? Just like he, you, he uses the same word when he says we're being called into uh, Christ out of darkness. It's the same word where he says, and I'll tell you another calling you have. You have a calling in your work. And isn't the favorite thing to say, hey pastor did you hear some young guys in high school college or maybe out of college he's been called into the gospel ministry as opposed to the rest of you who have no calling right (laughs) you're not called sorry you know I'm the one that gets to be called you're just doing whatever I don't care because it's not going to last it's not worth anything you know that's the that's the sense of it rather than seeing what God says no each one of you have been called and you're to express your uh, attachment to Christ, your love of christ you 're to manifest that right where God has called you in your circumstance doesn 't mean you can 't change a job if you get the opportunity that kind of thing but he 's talking about that kind of abandonment uh, as uh, as a being more spiritual, and having a calling means two things in particular. It means that we are called to love people through our work, love and serve people through our work, and we're called to grow spiritually in our work. And those are things that we don't associate enough with our work. That I'm in my work, this is the way that I love and serve people. It's the way God's called me to love and serve people. And spiritual growth just isn't when I'm at church or reading the Bible or praying. Spiritual growth occurs in my work itself as I bring my whole Christian life to bear in honesty, in diligence, in passion, in creativity, in initiative, all the things that I need to bring to bear to do an excellent job in my work. As one has said, competent work is a form of love. Competent work is a form of love. We are serving someone else in our work, so work is regarded a calling if it's to see uh, if it's seen as God's assignment. You see, to serve others, uh, to uh, see that it's no longer just uh, uh, the wh- how I make my living, but it's a call and how I love my neighbor. And so Robert Bella says this work as a contribution to the good of all and not merely as a means to one's own advancement. And that can keep you focused in this outward move of your work and what you're doing. So God uses us in our work to serve other people and to benefit them in our society, in our workplace. And then wonderfully, God uses others in our lives to benefit us with the work that they do. And it helps for us to see, I'm a part of this rich fabric that God's created. And that fabric is Christian and non-Christians. I mean, how many non-Christians serve us for our good that we don't, and we don't even know a fraction of them, of course. But God uses all of these people to serve us and love us and care for us and give us things that we wouldn't have otherwise. And if you want to start today, like me, to take the refrigerator out of your house and tell you, you need to now build your own refrigerator. You know, where would you start? How would you start with the metals, with the electricity, with everything? Or you produce your own electricity. Or I want you to now build your furniture or a computer or a car or whatever. We use the products that millions of people are involved in every single day. That's how God cares for you through all these people. And he uses you in a particular way to care for others in your work. And it's very important for us to see that love is a vital aspect of this uh, This calling that we have and as we we used this uh, passage in our, uh, Jacob used this passage in our pronouncement of forgiveness and I just want to rehearse it for you that therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't exclude work from your work of the Lord as we talked about last week. Like my work of the Lord is everything but work. Your work of the Lord is many things, but it certainly is your work that you are doing for him. And be encouraged that you do not labor in vain in your work. But not only is love a part of our calling, but then also spiritual growth is a part of this calling. So we need to see that spiritual formation of our lives and our mission in this world are integrated and are genuinely a part of our lives rather than just be the religious, quote, parts of our lives. You know, that whenever you think of mission, whenever you think of, of uh, being formed spiritually, that only occurs in the more religious parts of my life. But it is a part of all of my life as I'm applying the gospel to my everyday life so that I have this integrated and complete and whole life uh, before God. As Deal says, we're to touch God in the world, not away from the world, in the midst of the world. We're to fellowship with him and know him in the very things we're made to do in his image, of course. That's why, frankly, I, I totally disagree with our uh, our confession that says, based on, I think, a wrong interpretation of Isaiah 58, that we shouldn't even talk about our callings on the Sabbath. And I, I think that's, I've, I think it flies in the face of scripture that we're to contemplate our callings even and contemplate the work that we've done, just like God did, and we're to help one another contemplate the glory of God and how He's enabled us to do our work and to be encouraged to go and do our work even better the next week. You know, so that just you can send off to Presbyterian and tell them that I've already, <laughs> no, I, I've, I've let them know things like this. <clears throat> so. Um, that, that, because this is such a vital part of, of our lives. And I love what Cosden, a Lutheran writer, says about this. He says, some ideas of spirituality <clears throat> seem to speak as though it was possible to image him apart from our being like him through our work. That we, we can talk about imaging him, but not in our work. When that is what we're made to do. To image him uh, in our work. And, and they act as though it's possible to bear his image apart from your work. It's really not. You can't bear his image apart from your work that God gives you to do. This is one of the uh, wonderful ways in which you express uh, that uh, image. And then finally, we've, we, we see the creation, we see calling, and then there's the consummation. And that's where the sheet that you have comes uh, into play. Just giving you these things, I, I apologize for typing all this list of references because I know you probably won't look them all up. And I, what I really like to do is to type them all out so they're there for you to see, but it's just too much paper and time, etc., But I've given you a little taste for each of these. I hope it'll, uh, you know, whet your appetite and that you'll uh, look at more of these passages. But seeing these five points I, uh, I make here, one, we will share in the glory of Jesus' humanity. That's said so beautifully in Philippians 3, where he says, When he comes, he'll transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. It's one of the greatest statements about how our bodies are going to conform to the glory of his body. <clears throat> Other passages talk about how weak our body is compared to how powerful it's going to be in that day. So there's something glorious and powerful about the new, uh, <clears throat> the new humanity that we will enjoy. And not only that, in terms of his glory and, and power, but we will share in the purity of Jesus' humanity As it says there in Ephesians 5, that he died so that he would eventually present us in all our glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. How can that be that we will be presented glorious with no spot or wrinkle? We'll be perfectly holy. That means we'll be perfectly good and kind and faithful and we'll be perfectly loving toward one another, perfectly delightful to one another. But then not only our personal transformation that will occur, and you can imagine what these people made glorious and made pure, what they're going to be like working together now in the new creation. How much better to work with people that are not like you and me right now? You know, uh, they don't do think that we won't be doing anything wrong or thinking anything wrong. But here, the rest of this then, all things will be renewed and restored. Like Colossians 1, through him to reconcile all things to himself, not just people, but creation itself. And Brian just uh, recently in December talked about that passage, Romans 8, where the the creation itself is going to be transformed uh, when the children of God are transformed. Then when all things are renewed, when we uh, share in Christ's glory and purity, Then we inherit the earth and we reign with Christ forever. Now, for you really to understand God's salvation, these are the kinds of things that you have to hold in your head to give you hope, to give you uh, a picture of what is coming, that my destiny is to be among those that inherit this whole world and then reign over it for God's glory. We don't know all the details of what that's going to look like, but isn't it interesting that Genesis 1 begins with subdue and rule the world. Revelation 22 verse 5, the last chapter of the Bible says, and they will reign forever. I suggest to you there is a connection, okay, between our exercise of rule and reign in this world by our work, which is very specific in Genesis 1 and 2, and our reign in that final day when we will be made perfect and will reign forever uh, with Him. I think that helps us to understand, uh, for instance, the parable of the talents, where we're, We're told that talents, we think, represents the full use of your humanity, your gifts and abilities and opportunities, your privileges, your difficulties, your challenges. Everything God gives you is, in a sense, your talent. And then how you use yourself and all that you have is... Uh, how you invest in all that you can invest in in your particular calling isn't it interesting and I, and we don't think that your work is outside of that your work is a part of that your work is part of the talent that has entrusted you okay but isn't it interesting that jesus says to those two that were faithful you have been faithful over a little i will set you over much He doesn't say, good, your work's done. No more of that. We're going to just drift on from now on. You're done with your work. Good, you did a great job. He doesn't say that. He says, you've been faithful over little. Now I'm going to give you a lot. Now, if that was burdensome, if, if, if work was part of sin, we'd say, wait a minute. I did all that work just so you could make me work some more, you know, but rather we're going to see it as the most glorious privilege and opportunity to spend ourselves joyfully and use our capacities from now on uh, for the glory of God. And uh, a few things this will mean is that there will be in that final day, in the new heavens and new earth, a steady and constant growth in knowledge and accomplishment. That's fascinating to think about. All of our capacities and abilities will be expanded to their fullest. We will do all things with unrelenting joy and passion and satisfaction. And we'll do all of this in perfect, fulfilling society and maximum collaboration. Hard to imagine, isn't it? What we will accomplish in developing uh, the culture under God's grace in the new heavens and the new earth, and for that reason, uh, and I just can only mention this and, and encourage you to read it on your own. But um, J.R.R. R. Tolkien gives a little story entitled "Leaf" by Niggle, and this stands for this painting that a guy named Niggle finally did, and it was ended up only being a leaf. And so, there in the little museum in their little town, after he died, it was entitled "Leaf." By Niggle, and that's the title of the story. Okay, but as he tells the story about how Leaf, uh, how Niggle was trying to paint really a whole tree, but he never could finish the tree. He spent so much time on that one leaf, had so many interruptions, he had so many things to do for other people that he didn't finish any more than the leaf, and he was pretty distraught at the end of his life uh, because he didn't uh, he didn't do more than he he than that. But then he gets to heaven, and he sees this glorious tree that he had envisioned, and it's finished. It's done. And the thought is that everything good, all good endeavor that we engage in has a reality, you see. Goodness will continue. There will be a continuity of the good things that we do. I'm not saying in particular that If you paint a painting, that painting will be there. But I'm saying the creation of art that you've engaged in will carry over. There will be a fulfillment of the creation of art or music or whatever it is. Uh, Some things obviously will change. But whatever we were striving for in human flourishing, in structuring, cultivating, developing, arranging, caring for creation, for people, for organizations and systems and societies, this will see its fruition in the new heavens and the new earth. And we will actively, joyfully participate in the ongoing progress. So our work... Even as the, ta- the parable of the talents, our work manifests and anticipates what is coming. And so our work itself, as we do it in the, in the grace of Christ, announces, really, the new heavens and the new earth. Because we're already participating in them and we're already anticipating them. That's a far cry from your work not having any eternal value. It has glorious meaning. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would ever encourage us and bless us to understand what you've made us to to be and to do as human beings made in your image. May we bring great glory to your name. Amen.